Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Influence is powerful because when someone is influenced, they're moved towards a decision or an action. When we're influenced to move in a a certain way, it, it impacts the direction of our life. And all of us have people and things that influence us. Um, What are the influences that you have in your life? With, With all the things that are out there that can influence us, I'd like to present to you what should be our ultimate influence. That is the gospel, the the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not only good news for salvation, but it also impacts our daily life, our, our relationships with one another. So this morning, as we continue working through Philippians, we're going to see how the gospel influences four responses uh, towards our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's read. I'm going to read uh, the first eight verses of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Lord, uh, this morning as we... uh, Look at your word. I ask that you would draw us to you, that our our hearts would be yours, that uh, you would open our eyes to any sin in our life, Lord, and by your grace we'd be able to uh, repent and turn away from our sin and turn towards you uh, and and live a life uh, where where the gospel influences us in, in all we do. I pray this in your name. Amen. So number one, the gospel influences us towards thankful remembrance. The gospel influences us towards thankful remembrance. This is pretty incredible if you think about it. Paul is is writing this letter from prison. Do you remember another time that Paul was in prison? Last week, we we briefly talked about some of the early converts of the Philippian church. And one of those converts was a jailer. So Paul has some memories in Philippi that are no doubt painful. Paul and Silas were were beaten and, and stripped and shackled in prison. And one of the members of the Philippian church is the guy, that the jailer, who personally shackled Paul and Silas and put them in the inner prison. Look at Acts 16, verse 23. It says, and, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, 
ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Later in the chapter, we see that this jailer, who's taken them to the inner prison and fastened them, um, he, he believes in Jesus. And now, as Paul writes this letter to all the saints in Philippi, which includes this, this jailer, and he's writing in prison, which I'm sure could bring up memories of being in prison, he says, I thank my God in all my, my remembrance of you. In all my remembrance of you. Which includes his memory of the jailer who personally took him to the inner prison and fastened his feet in the stocks. How is it that Paul is able to thank God for all his remembrance of the Philippian church? Well, it's, it's because of the gospel. The jailer repented of his sin and believed in Christ. And so even with a painful memory of being imprisoned, Paul is able to look at that memory and be thankful because he's seen the jailer be saved and, and repent. And he has seen the grace of God working in another person's life. And when, when we interact with each other in the church, we have the gospel on the forefront of our minds. We're reminded about where we have been and how the Lord has brought us out of sin. And we can be thankful for each other because we see the grace of God in, in others' lives as they've been saved. And we can rejoice in that. Thanking God for all our remembrance of each other is a healthy place to be. Um, when you think of others in the church, is your first inclination to thank God for them? I, my guess is that sometimes this, this is the case. Praise God for that. Uh, when we think of another person, uh, we're thankful to God for them. Um, it's a blessing to be a part of a, a unified church. Uh, I would also venture to guess that sometimes we're not thankful for each other. Uh, we can annoy each other, irritate each other. Um, what are we to make of that? Uh, sin is destructive. Sin is by nature divisive and isolating. Sin separated us from God. Our sin caused division between us and the Lord. Before sin, Adam and Eve were in perfect communion with God, but after they sinned, they, they isolated themselves away from God. Sin brings about division and isolation of, of people, and it can even happen in the church. And It's really easy to spot sin in another person's life, uh, and we, we tend to be blind to our own um, and see others as clear as day. Um, when was the last time you personally repented of sin in your own life? Uh, has it been a long time? Uh, if it has been a long time, 
I would say that that's evidence of a life being lived in pride. That's something that I struggle with in my own life. The influence of the gospel moves us to see the evidence of grace in the lives of others in the church, rather than to be in prideful judgment of others. And as we see the evidence of grace in the lives of others, we thank God for the work that he's doing in their life and in our life. One of the reasons that sometimes we're not thankful for others is because we are critical in our pride. When, when someone's a very critical person, they won't be thankful because they're always looking at what's wrong uh, rather than seeing the evidence of, of God's grace. It's, it's easy to be thankful for someone when you get along with them and you enjoy being around them. It's easy to be thankful for someone when we personally find them to be encouraging. It's, it's much harder to be thankful for someone when we don't naturally get along. It's much harder to be thankful for someone when we find them to be difficult. Based upon this letter to the Philippians, the Philippian church seems to be a pretty great community. There's still some conflict that Paul addresses. They're not perfect, but it seems like it's a good community. Even though they're some things that need to be addressed within the Philippian church, Paul is still thankful in his remembrance of them. We see that the gospel has influenced Paul towards thinking of others in thankfulness. And we also see this even when there are bigger issues as well. For example, the, the Corinthian church had a lot of big issues to work through. And what does Paul say about them? In, in 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Even the Corinthian church, with all of its drama, all of its issues, Paul thanks God for them because of the grace of God that's been given to them. The gospel moves us toward thankfulness and specifically thankfulness for others in the church. And another reason we can lack thankfulness to God is if we're entitled. The gospel reminds us that we are utterly desperate, completely helpless. The gospel tells us that we need to be saved. If we're entitled to something, and something good happens, it's, rather than being thankful, and um, we can think, yeah, I deserved that. Um, or we can think, yeah, like that's, that's what I expected. Um, being entitled leads to thanklessness. But the gospel fights against an entitlement attitude. All of us were dead in our sin. And it is only because of the grace of God that we have been made alive. The gospel reminds us that what we deserve, what we are entitled to, is the wrath of God. But because of Jesus, instead of the wrath of God, 
we receive the forgiveness of sins, the salvations of our, of our soul, and eternal life with the Lord. The gospel influences us towards thankful remembrance. Secondly, the gospel influences us towards joyful prayer. The gospel influences us towards joyful prayer. Paul says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As we continually reflect upon the grace of of God that is offered to us in the gospel, it, it moves us to joy. Think about the grace that God has given you in washing away your sin. If you have repented and believed in Jesus, you are no longer under the penalty of of sin. Uh, Christ has taken that from you. And this is the work of grace of God. We have that joy personally for ourselves, but we also rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have also had their sin forgiven. And think about Paul's circumstances again. He's, again, he's writing from prison. His circumstances are not great. In fact, his circumstances could be seen as helpless, hopeless. Um, but we, we still see that he is, he's praying with joy. How, how is that? Paul's joy is not wrapped up in anything else other than the gospel. If we, if we seek to find joy in our circumstances, we'll find that sometimes we're joyful and other times we're despairing. Circumstances change every moment of the day. But there is something that doesn't change every second of the day. There is something that remains steadfast and true no matter what's happening in life. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. When our source of joy is the gospel, we're moved to worship God no matter what circumstance we face. We could be having the the best day of our life, things may be going exactly how we want, and we can praise God for his goodness in the gospel. Or we could be having the worst day of our life. Everything could be going wrong. And because of the good news of the gospel, we can rest in the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nothing else can be an ultimate source of joy. When we look towards something other than God and the finished work of Christ for joy, we'll always end up disappointed. The gospel is the only stable thing in life. If we try to find our joy in relationships, what happens when that relationship is is difficult? What happens when that person passes away? If we try to find our our joy in our profession, in our work, what happens when we're not as successful as we thought we'd be? Um, or maybe, maybe we are as successful as we thought we'd be and, and we find that it doesn't satisfy. 
Look to the Lord. Find your satisfaction and joy in the Lord and his character. Joy found in the Gospels, in the Gospel, leads us to be thankful and and joyful in prayer for others as we come alongside each other and, and encourage each other in the Lord. As Paul speaks of how thankful to God he is for the Philippian church uh, and how he prays in joy for them, he, he mentions a specific reason why. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippian church partnered with Paul in the gospel, and they've been consistent in in supporting him. Their partnership with Paul rests upon the gospel. And this partnership in the gospel showed itself in in at least two ways. Uh, Later on in Philippians, we see that Paul thanks them for their financial support in Chapter 4, verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The the Philippian church was concerned about the needs of Paul. And They were concerned about his financial needs as he went out proclaiming the gospel to the world and establishing churches. Um, But they're they're also concerned about his well-being. Their generosity is is motivated by a partnering in in the gospel work. We, as a church, are in partnership with each other in the work of the gospel. Uh, Think about this for a moment, each of us who are in the church, we have been commissioned to use our gifts to build up the church and to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the lost. This is a work that we're all involved in together. When we all have the same goal, the proclamation of the gospel, there is great unity within the church because of this same, the same goal. Uh, we come together in, in corporate worship, to, in worshiping God together, to hear from his word, to build each other up in the Lord, to be convicted of our sin and become more like Christ, and to proclaim the good news, the gospel. There's, there's great joy in the unity of the gospel And as we have this unity in the good news of of Jesus, let us pray for each other in in joy. Third, the gospel influences us towards hopeful expectation. The gospel influences us towards hopeful expectation. Look at at verse 6 of chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, as I was studying through this, this, uh, this made me smile a bit this week. <laughs> um, Paul has just spent time talking about how he thanks God as he 
remembers the, the Philippian church, and that in, in every prayer he, he prays with, with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. And then he tells them that they still have work that needs to be done in them. Um, he says, I'm thankful for you, and I, and I pray for you, and the Lord is still working on you. There's still some rough edges. There's still some sin in, in their hearts. There's, there's recognition that we are not yet complete. Uh, we're not yet fully uh, like Christ. Earlier I mentioned that an, an overly critical person won't be thankful because they are always looking at how things are wrong. Um, and here we see that that Paul knows that they're not yet complete, meaning he, he does see some things that are wrong, that need to be corrected, but there is hope because God completes what he starts. Uh, how many of us have, have started something and haven't completed it? Uh, we forget about it or get bored with it, uh, move on and decide that, well, it's, that's good enough. Um, the reality for you in your sanctification is that if, if God started this good work in you, he's going to complete it. Uh, this is a, a trustworthy promise. And, and there's more to it this is the work of God. Our spiritual progress is a work of God in our hearts. When we look back on our life, we see that, that God saved us. We were, we were dead in our sins, but God raised us up. That is a work of God, not a work of you. And then by his grace, he, he gives us a, a new heart with new desires, a new mind that thinks differently, a heart for his word, a heart for his people, a heart for obedience rather than, rather than sin. This is all a work of God. We can't take any credit for our own growth or Christ-likeness. When the Lord saves you from your sin. You are his. He, he will not let you go. He will not leave you behind and, and forget about you. He will not stop his work in you until he brings it to completion. And that day of completion is coming. We look forward in hopeful anticipation to the day of, of Jesus Christ when, when Christ returns in, in glory. So how does this gospel truth, that God will complete his work in us, change the way that we interact with each other? There is hopeful expectation and grace in our relationships. We see the sin in each other's lives, and that can be painful, but we look forward to when the Lord makes us complete. And we have grace with each other as we realize that God is still working in our hearts as well. 
And this is how we can critique each other in, in a godly way. Uh, we can come alongside each other and point out sin and, and humility because we know that God is still working on us too. And we can point out the sin and, and hopeful expectation of sanctification because we know that God is going to complete that good work in a Christian. This is the godly way to approach sin in another person's life, to confront them in, in grace and truth and in hopeful expectation of the Lord uh, working in their life. But oftentimes the, the temptation we face when we see someone's sin is to, to talk to everybody else except for that person that we need to talk to. And that's, that's gossip. Um, look at Ephesians 4.29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We can look around at each other and see areas where we're not completely like Christ. Um, and as a church, we are to build each other up. And specifically, we are to, to build each other up with our words. Uh, we are to give grace with, with, with our words. Uh, those, who, those who hear what we have to say should be receiving grace by what we are speaking. If, if what comes out of our mouths is simply criticisms of, of other people, tearing down other people, talking poorly, um, that is not speaking in a way that, that builds up. It's not, it's not giving grace. Uh, it, it may be possible that some of what you're saying is true, but we need to speak to that person about those issues. And, and when we speak to them, it is not to tear them down in, in anger, but to draw them to the Lord, to, to bring about reconciliation and, and repentance with that hopeful expectation of, of sanctification, that work of God in their life. If, if you find yourself constantly critiquing others, and, and maybe you don't even say it out loud, that's more of my thing. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really say things out loud much. It's, a self, it's in my head. I think about it. Um, it may just be in your thoughts. I encourage you to direct your thoughts towards the hopeful expectation of the gospel. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he who began a good work in others will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this truth will help you to live graciously with others in the midst of, of their sin and in the midst of, of your sin. And, and fourth, the gospel influences us towards heartfelt feelings of love and affection. The gospel influences us towards heartfelt feelings of love and affection. Yes, the gospel affects our feelings and emotions. Uh, look at verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my, my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, in, our, in our circles, uh, we can sometimes push aside uh, emotion and, and feelings because we want to be founded upon the truth. Um, and so, we want to steer clear of the dangers of, of emotionalism. Uh, we, we know and recognize that, that feelings don't always match truth. Um, being founded on the truth is, is right and good, and being founded upon the truth should not come at the expense of, of our emotions. We need to be careful that our correct steering away from emotionalism does not lead us to an emotionless life. Um, that, that would be to, to swing the pendulum too far. God created us to be emotional people. It is right for Paul to feel the way that he does about the church. Our emotions have a purpose for a life that can be right and good. Um, we need to be people of, of theology, correct theology, and our, our love for God should drive us to the word to learn the truth of, of who God has revealed himself to be. Um, and as we, as we study theology, and as we study the truth about God, we find that our love for God will, will also show itself in our, in our love for others. Um, especially so the church. Uh, we must be people of doctrine while also being people of loving affection. Um, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. It is right for Paul to feel thankful. It is right for Paul to, to feel joy. It, it's right for Paul to feel hopeful. It, it is right for Paul to feel love. And the reason why he feels this way is because he, he holds the church in his heart as they're partakers with him of the grace of God. The, the gospel knits us together. Uh, we're, we're family now. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul mentions that he holds the church in, in his heart. And that's partially because that they've supported him in uh, his imprisonment and as he defends and confirms the gospel, uh, there's unity of mission within the church, the, the proclamation of the gospel and going and making disciples. This unity of mission brings the church together, no matter what we face in this life. And so we have a, a love and affection for the church. And we hurt and, and pray for the church as we see brothers and sisters in, in other areas of the world that are undergoing persecution. It, it's right to have affection for them. It's right to uh, feel for them and, and, and pray for them. Um, um, and it, as we rejoice uh, with the church as well, as we see people repenting of, of their sin and, and believing in Jesus, it, it's right to rejoice 
uh, and seeing the church grow and seeing people repent of their sin and get saved, it, it's, it's right to have joy in that. And this brings us together. It is right and good to feel love and affection for the church. Uh, when I was in middle school and, and high school, there was a, a pretty popular saying going around with, with the kids my age. Uh, people would say, I love Jesus, but not the church. Um, that's wrong. Uh, Jesus loves the church. Uh, how can we love Jesus and not love the church? Uh, Jesus loved so much that he died for the church. The church is the bride of Christ. There's, there's a problem if you do not love the, the bride of Christ, the church. Jesus loves his bride. And God is shaping us and emboldening us to, to be more like Christ. And that, would, that we would love the things that, that he loves. Look at how Paul describes his love for the church in verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of, of Christ Jesus. Church, did you know that Jesus Christ has affection for you? This is the, the hope of the gospel, that in the midst of our sin and rebellion, God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place in order that you would live. And this was done out of love for, for sinners. The affection of Christ for his church is a beautiful thing. And as we are becoming more like Christ, we grow in our affection for the church. We grow in our affection for each other. The affection that Christ has for the church is, is a model for us in how we're to feel towards each other. And I realize that this can be hard. We happen to be sinful people. We happen to, to sin against each other. This, this requires repentance and, and forgiveness. We need to remember the, the affection that Christ has for us, even though we sin against him. Jesus still has affection for the church in spite of the fact that we sin against him. Isn't, isn't that incredible? Um, it's a precious gift from the Lord. And, and this informs us with how we are to interact with each other and being patient with each other and showing love towards each other and providing grace to each other and and confronting each other. Um, don't neglect uh, your emotions. Just like anything else in life, we can twist our emotions and use them in, in evil ways, but God created us to be emotional people, uh, and we can use our emotions in, in, to the glory of God. Our emotions are often a, a litmus test for what's happening in, in our heart. Um, 
And we must always, always come back to the truth of God's word for, for correction. Um, our hearts and emotions can be deceitful. And so we always have to come back to the word, but, but don't neglect them. Um, how you feel about something will give you some insight into what is happening in your heart. A lot of times, our, our feelings will show us that we're being prideful or, or selfish. Uh, we aren't getting what we want, and so we express itself in, in an emotional way, in, in anger, disgust, hatred, jealousy. In the midst of this, come back to the gospel. It's so easy to get run off with our emotions. Come back to the gospel. Remember the love for which Christ loved sinners and died for them. Remember the affection that Christ has for the church. And if you're a Christian, remember that he who began a good work in you will bring it out to completion. This is not about you changing your emotions or trying harder, the Lord does this work in us. And it is a a process of growth and and sanctification in in you and me. And as we live in this reality, it it allows us to live with patience and and grace with each other as we recognize the work that the Lord is doing in us and and through us and in each other. Um, As we gather together in in corporate worship this morning, we have the opportunity to to worship in in corporate thankfulness as the church for what Christ has done for us. But as you leave this morning, continue to live a, a life of thankfulness to God for the work that he's doing in you, for the work that he's doing in others. And, and with this thankfulness, let us pray for each other in joy. Enjoy that we've been saved from our sin. Um, enjoy that others have been saved from their sin. That Christ has paid our debt at the cross. Enjoy of our, of our partnership together in the gospel. And in our, in, in our partnership together in the gospel, we can live in hopeful expectation of the work of Christ in our lives. We know that God has started a work in us and will complete it. We can rest in the fact that God is at work in his church. And this helps us to live with patience and grace with each other as we we live in hopeful expectation of God completing his work in us and in others in the church. Let us encourage each other as we see the fruit of of the work of God in each other's lives. As we work together in pursuing after the Lord in obedience and in making disciples, our our hearts are then filled with love and affection for each other as the family of God. And this is right and good. And we can be reminded of the amazing love and affection that Christ has for us, the church. And our, our feelings of love and affection for each other 
are meant to point us back to Christ, that we remember his love for us at the cross. And this love was displayed in his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel is influential not only for salvation, but for all of life, our daily life. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you this morning and are in awe of you. Lord, we're, we're so thankful for the grace that we have in Christ. Lord, I ask that you would help us to keep the gospel in the forefront of our, of our minds, that we would not forget you. And, and in forgetting you, we can become thankless. We can, we can forget about what you've done for us. Lord, I ask that we'd be a people that are marked by thankfulness and that we'd be thankful for each other, that we'd be a people of prayer, that we would enjoy, pray for each other as we're, as we're thankful for the work that you've done in our, in our lives and in, in our hearts. Lord, I, I ask that in the midst of a life that is full of so many different things that can influence us, God, I ask that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, would be the, the driving influence, the ultimate influence of our life. That the love of Christ would be on the forefront of our mind, that we would live uh, graciously and lovingly towards others, and that we would faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel to each other and uh, to the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.